Jesus said to them, Before Abraham was, I am. They therefore took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. He who is the divine and ineffable one, who first revealed his sacred name to Moses in the burning bush, has now revealed himself to all men in the flesh taken from the all-holy and immaculate ever-Virgin Mary. He who is the cornerstone of the new and eternal covenant must now hide himself from the stones of the people of Moses. For his hour is not quite yet come. Our Savior reveals his divinity, then disappears from sight, only to reappear on the day when he will be lifted up. It is when he shall be raised upon the cross, he says, that he will draw all things to himself. We have entered the two-week season known as Passion Tide, the season marked above all by the shrouding of the sacred images. The Western practice of covering images finds a striking parallel in the Eastern Church, which has begun the Great Lent ever since the ninth century by celebrating the Sunday of Orthodoxy. For over a century, the East had been ravaged by the heresy of iconoclasm, which, under the heavy influence of a newly arrived Islam, taught that it was wrong to depict Christ or his saints with paint or chisel. Throughout the Christian world, holy images were smashed and their defenders violently persecuted. But at long last, the true doctrine prevailed. And it was on the first Sunday of Lent in the year 843 that iconoclasm suffered its final defeat and the holy icons were returned to the churches in triumphal procession. Perhaps the greatest defender of the veneration of holy images during that crisis was St. John Damascene, whose feast we celebrate tomorrow. He explained the doctrine thus, In former times, God, who is without form or body, could never be depicted. But now when God is seen in the flesh conversing with men, I make an image of the God whom I see. I do not worship matter. I worship the creator of matter, who became matter for my sake. In the West, our practice from this Sunday onward is to shroud all sacred images. 
And while we must do as much as possible to cover the images of the saints, the one thing that absolutely must be obscured is the Holy Cross. Like a pregnant pause in a speech where the silence compels us to contemplate what has been said and fixes our ears on the words to come, the most familiar sight in the church is removed from view so that we might prepare our eyes to behold it with fresh fervor. From now until Good Friday, we are deprived of the sight of the loving God who became living, breathing, sensible flesh for our sakes. It is on that darkest of days that the light of the world will reveal himself in his most bitter passion. Then we shall look on him whom we have pierced and contemplate the price of our redemption. During these last two weeks of Lent, all other cares must give way to the thought of our sweet Savior and his sufferings for us. Consider this first of all. He did not have to do it. Our redemption from sin was not owed to us in justice. It was freely given in love. God could have worked our redemption by dragging us before his throne of justice and then dangling us out over the fiery abyss until we cried for mercy. He could thus have overwhelmed our wills and extracted from them that imperfect contrition which he would then accept as satisfying divine justice. Conversely, a simple prayer from the Eternal Son would have sufficed for our redemption. God could simply have said to man, I forgive you, or indeed forgiven him without telling him. St. Thomas explains to us it was more fitting that we should be delivered by Christ's passion than simply by God's goodwill. And our great master in theology gives us five reasons for this, which I wish to contemplate with you briefly today. First of all, Christ in his passion, shows God's love for us. Consider here the teaching of St. Paul on this subject. The Apostle says, it is rare enough to find someone who would lay down his life for a great friend or benefactor, let alone die for another simply because he is good or respected for his virtue. Christ did so much more. He did not die for those who had done him great favors or for men who deserved his admiration. He died for the wicked and died at their very hands. And how does he speak to us of his sacrifice? He does not say, 
I die for you, even though you are wicked and undeserving. He says, Greater love has no man than this, to lay down his life for his friends. Our Savior, the one whom we have pierced, who owes us nothing, calls us friends. As though to say what seems impossible to our prideful hearts, how could I not die for you? I love you. We are friends, after all. Surely you would do the same for me. This leads us to the second reason St. Thomas gives for the Passion. It is, as St. Peter says, the supreme example which we are to follow. For the Apostle tells us, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his footsteps. Christ, in every moment of his life on earth, and especially in these final days of his most bitter passion, sets an example for us of the virtues which set us apart from the devil and make us like God. Obedience, humility, perseverance, generosity, charity. Thirdly, by his passion, Christ, as true man, merited for us that grace which alone justifies us. Thus we see the example of him who is head of his mystical body, the Church, the work that he has done so that we may have that grace which suffices for our salvation. Fourthly, by the passion of Christ, man is restrained from sin, and yet in the most perfect way, which only God could devise. For he is restrained from sin not by force or by hampering his free will, but simply by an appeal to compassion toward his great Savior, who has suffered so much for him. Finally, we recall that man is a creature of God, loved by God. The glory of God and his love for man demand that man should recover the dignity he lost by succumbing to the guile of the devil. The devil had his victory over man by hiding himself in a tree and tempting man to partake of its fruit. God now hides himself from the devil by becoming true man, and in place of that stolen fruit is now nailed to the tree of the cross. It is the sweetest of victories. For as the devil employed deceit out of pride and envy, Christ employs gentleness and humility and does so purely out of his love for us.
We begin to see then, as well as we can in this dark world, that any other means employed by God to redeem us would have involved either a mere license to sin with no accountability, or on the other hand, placing us in a divine straitjacket to compel our submission. Thanks, then, be to God, who has given us the victory through the passion of Christ. We retain our dignity as free men, for we are not forced to be his servants. Yet it is only by our own fault if we make light of this redemption which he has wrought with so much love and suffering. Lord Jesus crucified, have mercy on us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.